0: Hi guys, Adrian Stein here with Raising Me, and this is a podcast where we take some of the biggest challenges we face as parents right to the experts for advice. And this is an episode that really hits close to home, as I know it does for so many of us, that is kids and the rising rates of anxiety. And it's beyond feeling, you know, a little nervous to go to a party or meet new friends because... Anxiety, a little anxiety like that is normal. It's even good for kids, as you're about to hear. But we're also talking about the rise in the debilitating kind, where things like getting to school can cause paralyzing fear, or when, say, a social situation just shuts them down or causes a panic attack. We're talking with Rebecca Hoffman today, and she is awesome when it comes to this. She is the director of Maine Health's Center for Trauma, Resilience, and Innovation. And, you know, she's a mom, so she understands where we're coming from. Rebecca is going to share early warning signs that your child might be predisposed to anxiety, why rates are skyrocketing, why this matters even if you don't have kids with anxiety, and where to begin if your child needs help. Also, we're doing some self-reflection here because, you know, this is stuff a lot of us didn't necessarily talk about as a generation growing up. Now we are giving more words to emotions. We are acknowledging them as a whole. And while that takes practice and it can be really tricky and difficult sometimes, it is ultimately a very good thing. Rebecca, you say that anxiety in children is at an epidemic level. What exactly does that mean and why should people who maybe don't even have kids with anxiety, why should we all be caring about this?
1: Anxiety has been at an epidemic level really for the past few years. It was on the increase prior to the pandemic, but since the pandemic, it has really exploded as an issue for kids really of all ages. I think that anxiety is at that epidemic level for a a multitude of reasons, and I'll talk about a few. First off, the pressures on kids are bigger than they've been, right? I can think back to when I was a child and if I wanted to try a sport, let's say I was in high school and I wanted to try a new sport, I tried a new sport. Now kids are expected to be specialized and really good at sports often before they enter middle school. That's true for music. That's true for other activities is that The pressure to be good at things, whether it's because that'll give them a leg up with getting into college, or whether that's the expectation of the community they live in or the family they live in, there's a lot of pressure to succeed early on rather than just try. The idea of just trying something out to see if you like it is not accepted as it once was. That puts a huge amount of pressure on. Kids, when they're at an age when they should be trying and making mistakes, that's how they're learning, right? Is to try and decide they don't like something and not do it anymore or try and maybe not be, not excel at it so they try something else. So they're not getting that opportunity or it's not as widely accepted. In addition, the academic pressures are greater than they have been as well. I think there's a lot of pressure put on schools to make sure kids are really excelling across all subjects. When, again, kids don't learn by getting something right the first time. They learn by making mistakes and trying again. When you add in the pandemic to that, kids lost at least two years of normative social development we don't really know what the impact of that is going to be because it's it's a new phenomenon to us all and so what they lost though is that ability to interact with other kids on a regular basis and struggle with friendships struggle with social situations and so they're almost a couple years behind where the world expects them to be and so for kids that's feeling again like I'm behind. They're behind. I have to catch up. I have to catch up in sports. I have to catch up in school. I have to catch up with social norms. And so what it's doing is putting incredible pressure on kids from a variety of angles.
0: I'm nodding my head. I'm feeling so many emotions when I'm listening to you, just having kids in that age. And I'm it actually does make me emotional because I've seen it and it's so hard to see them going through this. One thing, you know, just even with the sports, I had that experience with with my son who at eight, he's 11 now, wanted to try baseball. And we we didn't know you had to start baseball at four years old. And so I started calling around and teams would not take him in the 8-year-old 8 to 10-year-old or whatever that level was he had to go he would have to go back with 5 and 6-year-olds and i was you know i was like he, there's no way he's going to do that so we ended up moving on and found another sport that that he really liked but that was really eye opening to me that you know it's it is sports it is academics it is the social nature you know that these kids are growing up in such a different time and one thing I think too is like for parents, identifying what is, you know, some anxiety around going to an event or a birthday party or a one off kind of thing versus we actually might have a problem here. This is reoccurring. So, how do we figure out the difference between those two things?
1: That's a great question.
0: I like to think about it as,
1: the idea of stress, right? So when you think of stress, there's good types of stress and then there are bad types of stress, which are really those types of toxic stress that overwhelm a child's ability to cope. And so let's say you have a 2-year-old who's trying to build some sort of a block structure together and it keeps falling over and they're getting frustrated, right? But you know that that's good for them, right? It's good for them to try and and stress you can sort of think of that as kind of like anxiety. It's probably a little anxiety provoking for that child to try, fail, try again. And then what happens, they figure it out and they get that really good feeling inside them. Like I can do this. So when we, if we think about stress and then we sort of think about anxiety along with stress, we want them to have some good anxiety provoking moments. So they, we want them to try, but we want them to have the ability to succeed. So the example that you gave about, let's say, a child being sort of "quote unquote" too old to a sport, which is really sad to me because, like, adults should be able to try new sports. But but I but it's the way the world is now, right? You can't try something at eight or nine; you have to already know how to do it. But if you didn't know how to do it, it's like you're you're out. But they almost don't have that ability to succeed at that, right? And so that's a kind of stress that they're never going to have that ability to succeed. And so you found a way around it as a parent to try something else. But for that kid, you want anxiety-provoking moments that can increase their opportunity to learn and succeed. And those are good for kids. Those are good types of stressors. Kids need to have what we call stress tolerance. They need to be able to tolerate difficult emotions in life. If they aren't given opportunities to tolerate difficult emotions, they grow up into adults that want to avoid anything difficult. And that's just not feasible in this world. And so your question about like, what's an too much sort of stress or anxiety or, and what's enough? I think that question is, Answered in a couple ways. First, you can answer it in is this the kind of stress that's going to teach them and they're going to be better off in the long run for experiencing it? Or is this the type of stress that is just heading them down a path of pain and pain and failure, right? And so that's one way to look at it. And sometimes that's not always clear, but but just to try to simplify. But the biggest is in how they're functioning, how they're feeling and how they're doing. And so if you have a child that is so anxious that they can't go to school, let's say, they are unable to perform daily activities, like eat, sleep is a big one. If they're so anxious that they're not sleeping, when they're not sleeping, that's impacting their health if they are so anxious that it's impacting their ability to do their schoolwork or or perform well at school if it's getting in their way of living then that's something that requires additional support or so it requires attention paid to it if kids are saying you know oh i'm really worried i have this big test I'm, I'm nervous. I'm not going to do well at it. That's one of those moments as a parent when you say, okay, well, what what are we going to do about this? Right? Like you're going to study, you're going to prepare yourself. And that's a good thing, right? Because if they study and prepare, hopefully they'll do well and they'll build self-confidence. But now we're seeing anxiety where kids aren't able to function. They're not physically healthy. They Get to the point where they also maybe get depressed or they start pulling away from things that are normal in their life. They stop seeing friends. They stop going to school. Some kids, this is rare, but kids can go to the extreme of having images in their head that aren't really there, right? So it's, it's kind of dissociating and that can be a result of extreme anxiety. And so kids that are are in those places where they are not functioning well, they need additional support. They need to be seen by their PCP, their primary care provider. They need to be seeing a therapist or maybe getting medication. There needs to be some intervention to help them move through this anxiety. And the good news is there are so many treatments that are... So good for anxiety and work really, really well.
0: I'd like to talk about some of those treatments. And before we get there, you know, I kind of wonder we've talked about a lot of outside causes of stress the, or of anxiety, the pressure, whether it's sports or academics or this just social and sort of coming in post pandemic and not really knowing how to interact like you should. Uh, at 8 9 10 11 15 whatever it might be but is some of it genetic too or is it primarily outside influences that might cause you know a child to become anxious
1: it's both or either there's a predisposition potentially for anxiety so kids some kids are just born with that mental health issue And that will play out depending on their environment, right? So if they have a lot of stressors in their environment, you're going to see that anxiety play out. For a young kid, you might see a lot of finger chewing. And that's that's a very normal response to anxiety. But it tells you that there's potentially a child that might have some, you know, like if someone chews their nails, but that might be a kid that's more prone to anxiety And as a parent, it's something you want to pay attention to. Or a a child that's very nervous to go to school or go to sleepovers, like that's a child that might struggle with anxiety in their life. And that might be genetically just who they are. They have a predisposition to it. And then environmental factors bring it out. But then there's kids, for example, kids that have been exposed to trauma in their lives, like child abuse, like neglect, like exposure to domestic violence, and children that are facing major stressors like food insecurity or lack of housing, they have sort of a, a, an additional sort of layer on them that might cause more anxiety. They're, they're sort of holding a lot more. And so it's kind of a mixture between both or either that can cause anxiety in kids. But what we are seeing is that there's this prevalence of it like there never has been before in history. And so those of us in the mental health field have to sort of say, or researchers like, hmm, why is that? And I think that's what's happening now is we're all saying, okay, something has changed, something is different. And we talked about some of those things uh, such as the pressures on kids in, in the world today. One that I didn't mention that I think we all know, but I just want to make sure it's out there is social media. And so the access to social media and the pressure that social media puts on children can be incredibly anxiety provoking. When you add that to the other pieces, then it's just, it's a lot that their little brains are being faced with.
0: So It can cause anxiety for adults too, <laughs> you know, that's the reality. And as we talk about genetics, one thing that kind of comes to mind is because growing up and I'm a Gen Xer, I don't remember these conversations happening at all. Is it possible that there was a lot of anxiety among maybe older millennials and Gen X when this was not as prevalent in the conversation? It was kind of more like, oh, you'll be fine, you'll grow out of it kind of thing. And also, what is the potential? What is the impact of that? That we have we have this whole Gen X ish type of generation, and again, I put some millennials in there too. That this was never part of the conversation or even addressed. So you probably had a lot of kids feeling anxiety or being in pain, and it, it just not being talked about, not being addressed. Kind of a "you'll be fine" kind of attitude, right? It was a much different time.
1: Right. Right. I think you're exactly right. I think kids were sort of pushed, you know, you can do it. Just, just Rub some dirt just put on it. it. Yeah. You're yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Brush, your, brush yourself off and get back up. I think there is that piece that came from when we were children, I think it was underdiagnosed potentially. So it was thought to just be I don't know, shyness. I, I often hear, you know, that parents would say to kids, oh, you're just being oversensitive, right? Like that was often a thing that was said, you're just too sensitive. And that might've just been that, there, that that child's tolerance for stress or anxiety was just like a little bit less than maybe another kid. And so you would see it more, it, would, it was more obvious that they were in distress. So I think there's a few factors there. I think that kids had to sort of suffer with it. And some kids suffered with it, and they found the coping skills to be able to function with it. And some kids suffered with it, and they didn't. They struggled, and they struggled into adulthood. One of the big fears that I have with kids in anxiety is that they're going to self-medicate their anxiety. So that's, often what you will see is that there are substances out there that reduce those feelings of of anxiety. There are drugs out there, uh, recreational drugs that will reduce anxiety. And if a child is or a teenager is riddled with anxiety, they're more likely to self-medicate for that. And so that's the risk is that potentially some of those people are adults that you know they were able to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and figure it out and do okay and then there's some that are still suffering and don't have those coping skills and their coping skills might be the use of substances or addiction
0: isn't that then why everybody should be caring about this drug addiction has very far reaching consequences on so many different levels and when we identify these kind of things in our kids, and maybe we're just getting a little concerned, right? Like seeing the nail biting or just struggling to get to school. Some of those early signs that that you mentioned, how do we talk to our kids about this? Like, how do we start those conversations in a healthy and productive way?
1: That's a great question. And I think the first thing I would say is that Being able to give language to feelings is so important at a very early age. So kids can say, I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel worried. We need to teach kids that language because they don't have it naturally. And so we call that sort of social emotional learning. And so they need to know how to handle difficult emotions. And so they first need to learn how to identify emotions before they can learn how to manage those emotions. And we as parents can help them by, first of all, naming them ourselves, like, oh, I, it looks like you feel angry right now, or I see that you're feeling sad right now, and they're very young. You can start early on by naming emotions, and then they learn how to do that, and we celebrate that you know, thank you for telling me that you feel angry right now. Let's work on a solution. So then you learn, so they learn how to say the emotion, then you help to teach them solutions. So it's not about not having emotion. I think that's what we learned as kids. Some of us is like, oh, we're not supposed to say those things or feel those things. But now we want kids to say them, talk about them, and we need to help them come up with solutions. So even in schools now, they're teaching kids from kindergarten up how to do this. And that didn't exist when we were kids. And they're offering kids solutions for when they're feeling mad, let's say, that doesn't involve hitting somebody or running out of the room, that they're really healthy solutions to emotions. And you can see as kids get that at home and they get that at school, how they're going to grow up and have a different set of tools in their toolbox that kids right now don't have or kids didn't have when we were young.
0: I wondered, what about for the older kids? You know, the preteen and teenagers aren't always receptive when mom or dad wants to have a conversation in this way. So how do you approach the older kids who you can tell they're feeling anxiety?
1: Yep. And I can say I have a, a 12 year old. So I'm in it right now of trying to help him to feel comfortable with those conversations. And we've been doing it his whole life. But now when someone becomes a preteen, it's like, you're dealing with a whole different child altogether. So I think one of the best things to do is model it, right? So just to, to do it yourself. So to say, oh, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. And it shows them that that this is a home where we give permission for emotions and we all struggle. Even me as an adult is going to struggle with anxiety sometimes or sadness or frustration. So you model it for them and you make sure to give permission, even if they don't want to talk to you about it, that you are a safe space for those emotions, right? So you model it, you say, you may not want to talk about this but I want you to know that I am here and I will sit and listen if you want to talk. And then also just sort of like surveillance, making sure they do have places to go whether it's good friends or mentors, coaches, teachers where they were really struggling that they have a safe place to go. And then even beyond that is mental health treatment. Like at some point for some for some kids they are going to need additional supports. And it isn't because they necessarily aren't getting it at home or they aren't getting it at school. It's just for whatever reason, they're going to need some skills that therapists know to manage anxiety.
0: There are a number of different types of treatment. And before we get into that phase of treatment, I just wondered a little bit about being at home, and when it comes to that feared activity, whatever it is, if that's the way that anxiety is manifesting for your your child, whether it's they don't want to go to school or there's something about sleepovers, what is the level where you push? Like, but you got to face your fears. You know, there's that, but also trying to be empathetic and understanding, and not wanting to put them in an uncomfortable situation. So. Where where's the line when it comes to pushing forward so that you can see you do not have anything to be afraid of when it comes to whatever activity and saying, you know what? I get it. I see that you're hurting. This is very scary. Let's just take one step. That's a tough one to navigate, especially as they get older, because it's very hard to force a teenager or even a preteenager to do something they don't want to do.
1: I would say that that is definitely sort of one of the parenting million-dollar questions, right, is do we we force them to do it or do we listen to what they're expressing and say, okay, you know, obviously my caveat is every child's different, every parent's different, every situation is different, so there's no easy answer. What I have done as a therapist and a parent with therapist knowledge is to first talk it out. If if this is something you really don't want to do anymore, we need to sit down and talk about it. And so it's not going to be a yes or no. I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to hear your reasons why you don't want to do something. And I need to flesh out as a parent why that is. So is it an activity where they're getting made fun of because they're not good at it or they're new to it? So they're getting bullied, which is something that needs to be addressed immediately. Bullying is so damaging to kids. Is it because they just don't like it is it because it's anxiety provoking because there's a lot of pressure involved so really like to flesh out the reasons why they don't want to do it if you have a child that's prone to anxiety you might be having these, this conversation over and over again you know because any any new thing is anxiety provoking one of the ways i like to think about it is sort of how do we preempt that or get ahead of it. And so if you have a child with anxiety, you know, you might be having that conversation a little bit down the road, up front before they do that activity, sort of set the parameters, like, you know, this is going to be new, and it might be hard that it's new. What are we going to do when, if it feels uncomfortable? So you have sort of your toolkit ready for like, okay, I might hear no, I don't want to do this anymore. This is how I said I was going to respond to that. And this is how we're going to respond. So you have a very predictable response, which feels safe to get. So you want to increase their feelings of safe. So if you're, when you're talking to them and you sense like they don't feel safe, and, and I use the term safe, not like physically safe, but like it's, it's provoking their anxiety reaction. What are some tools that can help it? So how about we meet with the coach and talk with the coach? Sometimes what I find one of the best ways is I carpool with other kids, and just the connection of other kids going to the event will bring my child to want to do it more. I found like being like, "Hey, how about I drive a few of the kids?" So I think there's ways to try to troubleshoot before we just say, "No, we're not going to do this," but. If it's so anxiety provoking for a child that it's causing them a lot of distress, then we as parents need to listen to that. So what I'd say is kids need to learn, like we stick to something, right? We, we say we're going to do it. We stick to it. But if they try something and they've tried lots of different, different tactics to make it work and it's still not enjoyable and anxiety provoking, or it's not what they thought it was going to be. Sometimes what I would recommend is make an agreement with them. Say, okay, you want to choose to quit. I want you to quit on you know your bad day. I want you to quit after you win the game. And then if you still want to quit after you win the game, then I will let you quit. So let them let them quit at a high moment and see if they still want to at that point. Or say, okay, I'm going to let you stop doing this, but as an
0: agreement, I want you to do this instead like try a new sport or try it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: For my own kids. It's like my fear is I don't want them to not want to do stuff because they want to just sit at home. Right. So, okay. If you don't want to do this, that's fine, but we're going to do this instead. And sometimes you can flesh out some of those reasons to not do something that aren't as helpful. Um, and really, if it's really anxiety, then you're going to keep seeing this again and again, and you're going to know that's, you know, you, your child's going to need some additional supports to help them get themselves out there and and try new things.
0: So what would be the first step in getting treatment if we feel like this is where we are? And what are the treatment options in general? Like what are would be, you know, some of the key treatment options that would be available to kids? So there are
1: a lot of options. Luckily, anxiety is a widely treated issue. and. Most all therapists have been trained to treat it well. There's the treatment model that many people have heard of. Cognitive behavioral therapy works wonderfully for anxiety. First step, I would say, is to talk to your primary care provider. Let them know your concerns because they're often the bridge to treatment. Many primary care providers have therapists in the primary care office that can see kids or adults depending you know on on where you go for short term issues like like this anxiety can be treated in the short term it doesn't have to be a lifetime of therapy and so that would be a good first step other steps are to be if if you have a therapist if a child therapist that you know and that you trust connect directly with them for treatment the other reason why it's important to connect with your primary care or your child's primary care provider or pediatrician is that there are circumstances when medications might be helpful. And there are medications that are very helpful for kids with anxiety if it's not can't be treated just with talk therapy or play therapy. And so if that's the case, you want to get your your pediatrician or primary care provider into the conversation early on. Is there a a a way
0: to prevent this?
1: It's a great question. I think the answer is yes and no. There's always going to be things in our world that are anxiety provoking. I mean, think of us as adults. They're like around us all the time, right? There's things that are anxiety provoking. So you're never going to have an anxiety free world. Treating anxiety as a mental health disorder you're going to see forms that come from genetics and those you can't necessarily avoid. There's going to be forms of anxiety that come from being exposed to trauma. So if we could eliminate childhood exposure to trauma, which would be incredible, then you would eliminate a lot of the anxiety that's out there in kids. But what we can do and where I think we can focus our energy is Teaching ourselves as adults and teaching kids the tools to manage distress. So what is our stress tolerance? And increasing our kids' ability to manage stressful situations because that's going to serve them their whole life.
0: If there was one thing that we could do today to help ourselves help our kids or just help our kids, what would that one thing be? The
1: one thing I would say is that we need to show kids that it's okay to have difficult emotions. And by doing that ourselves and facing our own difficult emotions, we're going to teach kids that it's okay for them to have it and that they will get through it. I think when you see adults avoiding difficult emotions or not wanting to feel them and trying to push them down, you're going to get kids doing that too. So our lives are filled with difficult times and filled with difficult emotions, and we want to teach kids that they will get through that. And so we need to model that for them.
0: Rebecca, thank you so much. I want to make sure that our listeners know we will have many more resources on wgme.com slash raising me. I can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise today, and I, I really hope we helped a lot of people. Definitely. Thank you so much, Adrian. Rebecca left us with so many important things to think about and what kept coming up in our conversation. What I have kept top of mind since our chat is the importance of naming difficult emotions, allowing and supporting difficult emotions, processing difficult emotions, not just for our kids ourselves too. That's not always easy. I totally get that, especially for those of us who didn't necessarily talk about that kind of thing growing up. Also, We've talked about giving ourselves grace in prior episodes. How about making an effort to give our kids a little grace? There is so much pressure on them from so many directions, too. I mean, let's just start with the pandemic and the social developmental delays there as a whole. Rebecca talked about that, yet, you know, as a society, we still expect them to act their age, so to speak. And there's sports and the pressure to be better younger. There's social media and all the comparison with that and school. That is more competitive than ever. Speaking as somebody with a high schooler, it is so beyond academics, especially if you're thinking about college and you're in that phase. It's, you know, what are you doing to better the community? Plus play a sport at a high level, be in a club. Oh, and are you in advanced courses? And you should probably have a job. So I'm actually doing a self-check more often and easing up at least a little bit. Most of all, if you're struggling to figure this out, know that you are not alone. There is help, and the most important thing that we can do is to get it when we realize our children need it. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I'm Adrienne Stein. This episode is edited by Megan Littlefield. Please take a moment to follow Raising Me wherever you get your podcast. Of course, a positive rating and review also helps others find this message, so we really appreciate that. Wherever you are, I hope you learned something new and get to take a little time for you.